Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, I'm interviewing Kevin Cassidy. Now, Kevin comes from a, a very unique background, started out as a teacher, he got involved in kind of an interesting sport that he's going to tell you a little bit about, but what he did after that was transition into being a stuntman, a Hollywood stuntman, and of course, that's a that's a fascinating world in, in itself, but he's going to talk about some of the amazing movies he's been a part of, Ant-Man, The Longest Yard, so of course he's worked with some of uh, Hollywood's biggest stars, so what's it like to be a stuntman on some of these some of these movies? You know, he's been a, a stuntman on all these Hollywood movies when it comes to football and superheroes. What's that world look like? Of course, we see all these hard hits in football or all of these you know, amazing fight scenes when it comes to superheroes. Of course, these, you know, multi-millionaire actors are not doing a lot of their own fight scenes. It's just not uh, not feasible for a lot of ways. They probably don't have the ability, but also when they're being paid buku bucks to be in the movie, they get injured and then they can't film for a month. Probably not the, the smartest idea. So that's where Kevin comes in going to tell us all about the business, how he got his start, how he transitioned out of it, recently transitioned out, wrote a book about uh, his time as a, as a stuntman, told some amazing stories in this interview, and then also some great stories in the book too. Uh, but the book is more than just that. The book is about overcoming you know, hardships, overcoming the odds. He was born with a facial defect and speech impediment, and that created some some bullying as a kid so he uh he kind of teaches people now a little bit about overcoming bullying you know uh, just perseverance mental fortitude those type of things really powerful stuff that'll be kind of the last half of our conversation but this is a fascinating story about just the inner workings of Hollywood and that that stunt world. I think you're going to really enjoy this. We we definitely have some uh, some fun stories about Adam Sandler, uh, about Heinz Ward in a, in a football movie, about a lot of really cool uh, cool action packed things. So here is Kevin Cassidy. I'm here today with Kevin Cassidy, Mr. Cassidy. How are you? Doing great. Good. Well, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it very much. If you would just introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Kevin Cassidy. I am a retired Hollywood stuntman. Uh, before that, I was a, a middle school teacher in Baltimore, Maryland. I was a professional slam ball player. I was a minor league baseball player. I was uh, born with a facial uh, birth defect and speech impediment. So I was a bully kid, uh, mm-hmm. teasing and uh, kind of just wrote a book. Uh, came out a couple months ago in September 2022. And uh, it's about kind of my journey uh, through through life and going to Hollywood and recently retiring from Hollywood, opening a business, writing a book, starting uh, speaking engagements at schools and building mentorship program. And uh, long story short there, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> lot, lot to unpack. And we'll, we're going to unpack most of that. And I, you know, I guess kind of the, the headline there is, of course, the the Hollywood stunt work that you've done. And I just wonder 
how you get into something like that? Did, how did you ha- did you happen upon it? Did you know? Was it something you'd always wanted to do? You said that you were a a, a teacher before that, so it's not like you started you know at, at a super young age. So I just wonder how that that happened. Yeah, it kind of happened into it. Um, was an athlete, and after a short stint in baseball, I was a teacher. And randomly, I saw a sport on TV called slam balls, like full contact basketball with trampolines on TV for a couple of years. kind of crazy. Me and Buddy went to a tryout for it. They did a nationwide tryout all around the country. And I was dumb enough to make it <laughs> for the tryout. They shipped me out to L.A. I played that sport for about four months. Uh, met a couple of guys who were in the business in Hollywood doing sports movies and uh, through networking and ending up in L.A., uh, looking for work, went to another tryout for a movie called The Longest Shard with Adam Sandler and Burt Reynolds and yeah. the whole football stuff. Made it to that tryout, got onto the movie, had a lot of fun, made some money. I was like, oh, you know what? I got my SAG card. I'll, I'll stay in L.A., see how long this, this, uh, this ride will last. And uh, 18 years later, I'm looking to get off the, get off the ride, do something different. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really awesome. And, I, and you, you mentioned one movie already, so we already know you're not – you know, you weren't in movies. You're like, you remember that one person that played the, in that one movie? Well, her sister's in this movie. You're in some some really some really big ones. So just tell us some of the movies that you were in. Uh, my first one was The Longest Yard with Adam Sandler. I did uh, football movies for to start off with. So I did The Gridiron Gang with The Rock, a uh, stupid comedy called The Comebacks. Um, mm-hmm. did Invincible with Mark Wahlberg. Uh, then I got into doing like real stunt work fights and car driving and all that stuff. I did a movie called I Am Number Four, where I played a, one of the main aliens in it, uh, Salt, Angelina Jolie, the other guys. Uh, then I got on into Marvel. and I, uh, My first Marvel movie was Ant-Man. I was a bad guy in Ant-Man. I was a Yellow Jacket character. I was a stunt double for the bad guys. So everything in the super villain suit is me getting beat up by Ant-Man in the whole movie. Hmm. Um, and then I went on and did... Ant-Man and the Wasp, Black Panther, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, so I've been doing do a bunch of Marvel movies. Yeah, so uh, a, a lot to, to say <laughs> to say to say the least, a lot. So you know, let's let's go back to the very beginning in that first movie or the first stunt you did on camera. I know you remember it. What uh, what was that first stunt? And kind of walk us through too, kind of the the nerves behind it, or maybe lack thereof. But I feel like I would. It would be something crazy. Not only are you now on camera, it's something new, but now you have to do something physical. There's a lot that could go wrong. Yeah, for sure. Luckily, the first movie was, was a football movie. All the stunts were playing football, and mm-hmm. all the actors are as football players. Terry Crews and uh, Michael Irvin, uh, Bill Goldberg, a lot of these, even Nelly, who's a great athlete, and Adam Sandler's a great athlete. So, And Burt Reynolds is one of the stars in the movie. He moved to Hollywood to be a stuntman. And fell into acting, but Reynolds did. If you, you know, yeah. hmm. uh, he played football in college at Florida State as well. So the first movie was kind of my comfort zone. I'm playing football. It's organized, choreographed football. I know I'm going to get run over. I know when I'm going to get run over and by who and where the camera's going to be. And we have to do it 10 times. It was it was a lot of that. But the first real stunt was in that movie, kind of in your comfort zone. We're in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, we're all buddies. We're all young ex-athletes. All the stunt players are. And, there's a scene where all the uh, inmates, I was one of the inmates and with, with Sandler in the jail, get out to practice for the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the scene is Sandler gets under center. He goes, they hike the ball, goes under his legs. He turns around and get it, turns back around. Everyone's just fighting everybody. 
There's some corner he goes, hey, you guys fight, you guys fight, you guys fight. And I was a free safety on the inmate team. So uh, I was kind of out in center field with no one around. Hey, you know, where should I go? I'll run over there and I'll mix it up with these guys. So, again, we've all been friends, living in the same hotel for a couple months. So I'm running over there in the last second. I was like, ah, I'm going to drop kick them. I jumped up and drop kicked both of them. <laughs> they go down. They go down in the heat. Everyone's laughing. They yell cut. Uh, Sandler and all the guys, the director, go behind the camera and look at the replay. They're going to see what works. And the whole tank, oh, who drop kicked somebody? I was like, oh, man, I'm fired. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, uh, well. Tried to hide behind my buddies, but I mean, it's on film. They didn't know it was me. So ah, it was me. I'm sorry. I thought it'd be funny. I, I apologize. I, I stepped over my bounds. I'll, I won't do that. And they're like, no, that was awesome. Do it again. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so then the director came and asked me to do that same drop kick in the uh, opening scene of the uh, actual football game. And mm. it made the trailer of the movie. It ended up being a pretty iconic hit in that movie. So that was my, my first real stunt was, was that. Yeah, and I feel like you you started out really strong. Now it's e- it was either downhill from there, or you just kept being strong. But I feel like starting out that way that gives you some uh, some juice that hopefully you you were able to live up to. Yeah, I started off some momentum. I got my sad card and everything, but uh, then you learn what, how the business is, and you might not work here for three or four months, and you better find another job and start networking and building relationships and finding out where the next movie is going to be filmed and who's going to be the hiring person of it. And, uh, so it's all, it's pretty good grind. There's no agents, no managers, no real auditions. Some football movies had auditions, but besides that, you had to just build up your own career, word of mouth. And it, it takes a while to, to know where to go, how to do it, what to do. Uh, there's stuff in softball league I played in, stuff in golf tournament, whole community of some people out in LA. Mm-hmm. So you merge yourself in that. And then it's about probably three, close to the four years of grinding it out before I really got established and was working all the time. Yeah. And I wonder, so you, I mean, obviously you did stunt work kind of as, as these other people, but you, were you stunt doubles for people too? Uh, not much because I'm a big guy. I'm six foot three, 230 yeah. pounds. So not a lot of actors are that big. I was yeah. a stunt double for the Ant-Man character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would double, I double the guy in um, uh, Transformers, Dark of the Moon, just mm-hmm. a military guy. Uh, so not much doubling. Mostly, I would play the the bad guy, the bouncer, the SWAT team guy, the cop, the you know, or the aliens. A lot of alien stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the question I would have with that too, which you know, you you said that you were the bad guy in Ant Man. Maybe the person that's playing Ant Man was also a double too. But I just wonder how often is it that you know there's an does actors normally know their limitations? Are you ever you know paired up with a you know one of the main actors? You're like he is not going to be able to, he or she is not going to be able to do these stunts. I feel like I'm going to kill him or we're going to break a leg or something. Has that ever happened? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it's always a little dance. Well, the first time you meet me after you're doubling, uh, they're going to want to do everything. You have to like, you know, pet your ego a little bit. Oh, you're really good. We're just going to do one more with him. Uh, no, it's just, uh, but sometimes the actors are like, no, absolutely. You do it. It's your job, man. That's making me look good. And it's kind of a lot of those big movies, like the Marvel movies, you train your actor a lot. You're in the gym with them. You're, you're choreographing stuff with them. You're, you're hitting mix, and it's kind of a cohesive, hey, this is your character, man. It's going to make you look good. And most actors are all for you doing all the stuff. Some guys like Tom Holland, who's Spider-Man, he's so athletic and young. He can do a lot of it. But it's just not cost-effective. The producer doesn't want him doing it. If he rolls an ankle and has to limp for two weeks, we can't film. Everyone loses money. So, hey, let your stunt double do it. Uh, but some guys are capable 
and really push it. And it's our job to be like, oh, yeah. And we kind of try to dumb it down and make them feel good about it. Mm-hmm. And then when they go do their acting, we crank it up and film it again. And mm-hmm. the director kind of cuts in you know, what, what looks best. I got you. I got you. So what's some of the, I mean, what's the best and worst parts of, of this profession? That's a, a very broad question, but. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it's a young man's game physically and, and time-wise. Uh, there are avenues to get behind the camera. In my last about five years, I was behind the camera doing fight choreography, hiring the stunt people, breaking down the script, doing the stunt rigging, which is where we hire, hang the, uh, the pulleys and the ropes and pull people through the air set up the uh the fake windows and uh really be the, the administrators behind the stunts instead of doing the stunts so there's an avenue for that as well so beating up your body is one thing but for me it was really time like when, when you're on movie set you're, you're 80 90 100 hours a week nights weekends mm. flying to new mexico for three months i was in london and prague on uh spider-man far from home for four months came home one weekend for my daughter's birthday flew right back to london so this is a time commitment. Uh, schedule changes. Hey, we're doing this Wednesday. Oh, that came. We're doing that next week. Now we're going to Pittsburgh tomorrow. Oh, I got, you just got to go, uh, mm-hmm. which is great when you're young and you got nothing else to do. But when I have a family now and uh, that time commitment was probably the biggest uh, con for me. Mm. What What's the best part? Uh, kind of the locker room, the community. All these stunt guys mm-hmm. come from so many various backgrounds, like Cirque du Soleil people, motocross world champions, martial artists. Rodeo Cowboys, I mean, just the Rebel Skydivers, the most random collection of athletes who, you know, are really good people and humble and have worked their way up in the stunt world. You're thrown together with these guys for months at a time, learning from them, building with them, training what they do, uh, creating really cool pieces of fight choreography or whatever. So just that locker room and community vibe is probably my favorite part. So is it the community that kind of, I guess I don't want to say police is it, but are they the, is it just the community is there an entity that helps, I guess, make sure everything is, is going well, just like with SAG, it's going to make sure that, and you, you're a part of that too. So I don't know if that's just, that's just the part, but you know, make sure that they're not putting you into something that is very, very, very dangerous or making you, you know, overwork or something like that. Is that just a SAG thing or is it a community thing or how is that policed? Probably 50 50. Uh, SAG gets your hours and your overtime, your turnaround. If you get cut at eight o'clock at night, you can't work till 8 a.m. next day, the 12 hour turnaround. Mm-hmm. They could not do that, but they have to pay you for it. So there's financial penalties for that. Uh, so the, the contract and the work hours are kind of controlled by SAG. Um, but the community polices the safety. And now there are so many shows being filmed with all the uh, the, the streaming networks and everything. It's probably mm-hmm. A thousand TV shows being filmed a day now, where 20 years ago there was 10. So now there's a lot of unqualified people, not a lot, but out there who are getting these jobs or like the stunt coordinators are in charge of safety of the set. They don't have the experience yet. Uh, big movies like Marvel, a lot of the movies I did, the guys who are in charge of safety, they could they can call cut. They can say they have the power to be like, nope, this is not what we talked about. We're not doing this. I don't feel good about it. Uh, or they can you know they hire the right guys. Hey, they changed this. Do you want to do this? I think it's good, but okay, let's go. Or you change it, we need another two days to rehearse it, make sure we do it right, and fight for that so that the legit big guys in the business really make sure that everything's safe. Because if you get hurt, you can't work. And if I'm a coordinator and my guys get hurt, I look like I'm not doing the right you know, prep work to make it safe enough for the guys. It's going to happen. People get hurt. You're literally getting my car falling downstairs. But 
hire the guys that can do it, make it look crazy, but, you know, do it four to five times in a row. So it, it's kind of self-policed by that because if you get hurt all the time, you're not going hire, to get hired. And if you hurt a lot of guys, then no one's going to work for you. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling kind of loop. Yeah. And in your particular area, you said in the last five years that you were behind the scenes doing some of the choreography, but what, when you were in front of the camera, did, do you, does everyone really just do everything? Do, do you, people start kind of having a, a niche or I, I just can't imagine that the same person that is, you know, doing the football is also the person that's doing, you know, the karate or something like that. Are you doing literally everything or does people start doing kind of a, a niche? People kind of do Back in the day, I was a throwback. I was a, a jack of all, master of none. I could mm-hmm. learn how to do the fights. I could fight Jackie Chan, meaning mm-hmm. I could take two punches and get hit by him, but I couldn't do a 25, 30 martial art move. I got pretty good practicing it, but if you're doing the Jackie Chan movie, you're hiring the best martial artists in the world to do that. If you're mm-hmm. if you're doing a motocross movie, you're hiring motocross guys. So it's becoming more and more specialized, but every specialized person there's not enough motocross movies to pay your bills. There's not enough football movies to pay your bills. So you better start learning how to drive cars and be, and, and you know improve your skill set so you can get more jobs and actually have a career out of it. But a lot of guys come in with a specialty and then branch out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll have, let's say, a guy who doubles Batman. Hey, you're going to do all this fight stuff. That's his main double. Hey, tomorrow we got to ride a motorcycle. I'm bringing the motorcycle guy for that scene. So the motorcycle specialists are coming and do that one motorcycle thing. Then he'll leave in two weeks. Then the other stunt guy will do the rest of the stuff. So they kind of like ham and egg it sometimes on, on big movies like that. Yeah. What was, you know, you said that you did all kinds. You're a jack of all trades. Which, uh, which area did you, did you enjoy the most? I like the fights and the, and the choreography. And it really, uh, I was lucky. I was in the, a time where the fight guys started like running the world and the guys, who directed and produced John Wick, like guy Chad Sahowski, he was Keanu Reeves' stunt double in The Matrix. Hmm. Became friends with Keanu. He was a stunt guy that became a fight choreographer that changed the fight game. Now he's directing and producing big movies. So I was in that evolution and saw that happening. And so when the fight guys started getting, we, they would do some unbelievable work and we would rehearse it and we would film it ourselves to show the director and it'd be awesome. Then we'd shoot it, and then it'd come out in the movies and look like crap. These the wrong angles, the punches didn't hit, and the energy was different. So mm-hmm. finally, some of these fight guys were like, "Hey, if you hire me, I get the final edit of the fight. Mm-hmm. I make sure like so Captain America: Civil War. I mean, uh, Winter Soldier, one of the first ones that did that. And that fight was phenomenal. Born and these these really fight movies just really started to get up. So you got the creativity, the physicalness, the action, and it's really cool. And there's a lot of people working together. You got 50 guys coming in, you got special effects, you got swords and guns. It, it was a really cool, cool world. Those guys are so good at it. Again, I was not the, the master of that world, but I was good enough to be in it with them and would see these guys work. And it was really fun to watch these guys work. Oh, I'm sure. And, and, you know, some people make a lot of these things look effortless, but of course it's not. And things do sometimes go wrong. I know you have a story when, when things go wrong, what exactly, what is that story and what, how does, how is that managed? <laughs> Uh, every set's different. There's different egos, different hierarchy. Some directors are my way to highway, Michael Bay. Some is more, you know, community. Let's work together with some coordinator. So every movie is a little bit different how it's managed. I, uh, I was doing the dark Knight rises and uh, I got hired to do the football scene where the football field blows up. So I wasn't doing the football work. I was hired to stunt guy to be in there 
as all the pyrotechnics go off and everything. And uh, but because I had a football background, uh, a lot of these English guys, there's a whole crew from England that came over and did that movie. Uh, hey, you're the football guy. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. And the real Heinz Ward was running the ball. NFL at this time he was still playing in the NFL. Hmm. And the, the scene is he has to like fake out a guy and run through the end zone. And as he's running, the field's blowing up behind him. He doesn't realize it's happening. He turns around, and the whole field's blown up. And we're all chasing him behind him, getting blown up by different bombs going off. So the director says, okay, well, you're the football guy. You're going to get faked out behind his ward. And then throughout the shot, you're going to track him down and almost catch him at the end, and then you get blown up. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? I was like, what? I can't have him fake me out and then catch him. I'm not in the NFL. He's in the NFL. I can't run that fast. Hmm. Like, okay, good job. Let's go. Like, I don't think no, <laughs> no one hurt me. I can't catch a guy. He's a real NFL player. And uh, so I talked to Heinz Ward. I said, you got to slow down. I don't know how to do this. Like, so we rehearsed it like four or five times. And they, we were on the, the stadium in Pittsburgh, the football stadium. And they built up a, um, a platform over the field to, to blow up. And the platform was maybe four feet high and it had holes in it that we would have to get blown up and land in these holes so we're out of the, out of the shot. And the holes are only like four feet, five feet long and you know, eight feet wide. So I'm supposed to run full speed and fall straight down into this hole. So I can't run full speed and just I'll hit the other side of the hole. I'm not gonna, I can't just, I'm not really getting blown up. So we do it one time. That's right. Jump over the hole. I was like, I, I can't. And I was 20 yards past my mark. He was way in front of me. Like what happened? I'm like, I, he's too fast. I can't follow this hole running full speed. We have to rework this. Like, okay, I think we got it. Let's do it again. I don't think anyone's listening to me. <laughs> and I'm a low man in the tone of bowl. I can't really speak up too much. So we get it down where I was kind of like diving in the hole and just wrecking right to the other side of the hole. I just knocked myself out one time. Heinz Ward started running slower. We kind of timed it out where it was looking pretty good. And, uh, we did it four or five times, and I'm just wrecked. Right, now we're doing a one take with all the pyros going off. All the explosions are happening. We got one shot at this. And I start face-to-face with Heinz Ward. Three, two, one, go. He gives me a fake. He runs by. I turn around. I chase him. Three, two, one, go. A bomb goes off. His eyes go like this. Gone. Full speed. NFL. <laughs> Heinz Ward. Gone. Before I turn around, I'm like, I, 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 Hundreds of thousands of pyros going off in the background. I know there's no chance of me hitting my mark. I'm ruining this shot. I'm going to run as fast as I can. I'm supposed to, like, barely catch him, get blown up. And then he starts turning around. as he's a football field jump. I'm 20 yards. Past. He's already turning around. And I'm still 20 yards like this. <laughs> I just dive in the hole as fast as I can. My leg's hanging out. I go, oh, cut, 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 Cassidy, would you ruin the whole shot? I'm like, <laughs> he took off. I couldn't catch him. And of course, it's never that guy's fault. It's always the guy's fault. I'm like, I- I'm sorry. I can't run the four one. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, so the movie comes out, and right when the first bomb goes off, they just kind of erase my character. <laughs> yeah. So so they fixed it in post, which is an option. <laughs> that's that's funny, and I yeah, that's a, that's a I guess unrealistic expectation that you're. You're going to be able to do all of that, including, I guess, outrun a uh, an NFL person. So I hear you there. Do you? I, I mean, I, I don't know how this works. Definitely, when it comes to acting and the SAG and everything, do you ever have any lines? Is it all just physical? There's no words to your your. No, uh, there's a. We get paid the same. So our our contract doesn't go higher or lower if we get lines. We get residuals. We get we get called mailbox money percentage of when it comes out and all that. 
So I never really wanted to talk, but a couple of movies, like we're playing aliens and they throw lines at people or if like you're the bad guys, like henchmen or something, a lot of time mm-hmm. the director will be like, hey, turn to him and say something. Hey, the guy's at the door or, or something like that. So the director's able to give us that direction and we can talk without having to go through extra paperwork and uh, extra you know, salary raises for like a, if you're actually extra on the movie, if you're told to talk, that's the whole, fill in another contract, pay this guy more. Mm-hmm. We already have that contract, so we got thrown lines a decent amount of time. And there, there are times you can there are stunt acting roles where you have four or five lines and get killed. So that, that happens a decent amount. And you have to train as an actor because when those things come up, you have to be able to do it. And even if you're not talking, you're acting the whole scene anyway. You're a lot of times you're the guy next to the guy for like four or five scenes because mm-hmm. you're gonna be the guy next to the guy when the fight happens. So you're mm-hmm. established as the guy that's at dinner with them every night or whatever. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of acting that has to be, you know, dialed in, even if you don't get lines. So that's definitely a craft that we, we work on as well. Yeah, that, that that makes sense. And I've I've heard people talk about that, that actors that I've had on that some of the most difficult parts is the non, non-speaking non parts of, of, I guess, being able to show whatever needs to be shown, whatever whether it's emotion or, or whatever it is without any kind of words. So I, I hear you there. What uh, you know, we, we talked about your your favorite type of, of stunts to do. What was your favorite movie, your favorite stunt you've done, favorite scene, something like that? Uh, the favorite movie, Ant Man was pretty cool. I got to play a character and fly, and like we kind of like designed the character while we were they were writing the script as we were kind of rehearsing the fights. And I thought, can this guy fly? Can he just jump high? He has his little hands. Can he grab things? They were kind of changing their mind. They're like, what do you think the character should do? So we worked with the actor, and, and we were able to kind of invent that character. So we were very high in the creative process, which is pretty cool. But the movie called I Am Number Four, it was uh, I played one of the aliens in there. And there was a lot of like uh, sword work and I had prosthetics on my face. And I had to walk with... Um, uh, high heels or even uh, even higher stilt kind of things we had to do for fights and uh, had to drive a car and I doubled two guys in that movie and I was helping the fight choreographer. So that was the first movie I was kind of involved in every aspect of the stunt team and playing a major role and I learned a lot. It was a really cool vibe and I did a lot of wire work, a lot of reactions. I had a lot of FaceTime. I had to do all the acting bits as the alien and the main guy had to like kill me because I was the main bad guy, you know. So all all that was was an elevated level than I had been before, which I really I really enjoyed. Got to do a lot of cool stuff. No, that's that's awesome for sure. And I wonder too. You talked about in the very beginning how you got into it, it was kind of happenstance. Uh, you were in the right place, kind of at the right time, and 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 started doing the. Uh, I've already forgotten what what was the what was the basketball that you did? Oh, slam ball. Slam ball. So you did slam ball and then you moved into into stunt work. How hard is it to get into this profession and is it easier or harder now? You know, you talked about how there's so many more shows, which obviously needs more stunt people, but I, I don't know whether it makes it easier to actually get to a, a high level. Uh, probably pros and cons. So it's, when I was starting out, there there was 10 people hired and 10,000 people trying to get the job. And a lot of these guys have been doing it for 10 years and you're the new guy. You got to grind it out, find something that separates you and just keep sticking around until you prove yourself. Uh, It was a lot harder. There's a lot less work. But in L.A. at the time, there's a community. 
Every Thursday night, there's some guys who go to this one bar. You can network. There's a softball league. You can network. You can yeah. find out who's training where, work with the fight guys, work with these. You can do a car driving class and meet the car drive. There's a lot of things you can immerse yourself in, into the community that really got your, work, your name out there and referrals and everything. Mm. Uh, that's harder to come by now because everything's spread out. Mm. Uh, Atlanta has it a little bit now, but nothing to what like LA had 20 years ago. Because uh, if you're a working stuntman, you're probably out of town. So if you're a new stunt guy, you need to train a working stuntman to get to know the gig and game and how to do it and get referred. Uh, but those guys are too busy working. They're in London somewhere. So it's hard to – there's so much work. Everyone's so busy. There's not a lot of people training and building that community. That being said, there's a lot more jobs out there. So a lot of people are getting hired who aren't that good, aren't that passionate, and they'll fizzle out. But they'll work four or five years and make a decent amount of money and then – you know, fizzle out because they don't have a, you know, it, it was handed to them. They didn't earn it. So they kind of take it for for what it is and it'll last. So it's probably easier now because there's so much work, but it's harder to, to get your foot in because there's no community base anywhere. That makes sense. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And somebody that is wanting to to get into it and, you know, do it, do it at a, at a high level or, or at least do a good job with it. What, uh, what advice do you have for them? I, I, you got to immerse yourself. I would say, you, you know, move to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Atlanta is the busiest place in the world with movies. There's a little bit of a community there. There's a lot of things being filmed. You'll mm-hmm. be able to find a couple of training spaces. Just you find out what you do good. Make yourself look good with whatever you do. Uh, get good at it before you show people. Uh, be humble. Work hard. Learn everything. But I would, you have to move to Atlanta, uh, hat in hand, and just start networking, training. Here's what I do really good. I used to be a motocross guy. Great. Awesome. Any motocross thing, go to there. Show them how good you are at that. Hey, bye, guys. I need to work on – who's your fight guy? I haven't done that yet. Said, oh, yeah, man. You're, if you teach me how to ride a motorcycle, I'll teach you how to throw punches. Oh, great. Come to my place. And, you know, like I said, in L.A., that was easy to find because there was a community out there. But, you know, find the thing you do good that can get your foot in the door and look good. And then find a community that you can branch out into. And uh, Atlanta probably has it better than anywhere. I got you. I got you. And I want to kind of move into the the next next part of your story, and that is writing a book. I, I believe I, I'm assuming that it, you're going to go into a little bit more detail on some of the some of the things that we've already talked about. But tell us what made you uh, decide that you wanted to write a book and get things down on paper. Uh, it was always kind of a passion project. I was a teacher. I've always been kind of pulled to do mm-hmm. mentorships and and uh, coach and all that and. I always dabbled in writing and I knew that I wanted to have a speaking career. So I always, I wrote a bunch of presentations from, uh, then I was in Hollywood. That's a pretty cool hook. I'm a Hollywood stuntman, no famous people. So mm-hmm. that kind of is a good hook to start it. And then my message is pretty much, uh, be more, put more value in who you are than what you are. I was a bully kid. I went through all that teasing and everything. I never internalized it. They put much value on that. I didn't never felt like I never identified as a bully kid. All the way to the point where I was a Hollywood stuntman, making a lot of money, hanging out with famous people. It's never who I was, it's what I did. Didn't put much value in that. I was able to walk away from that to do something different without much fanfare or emotional baggage with it. So I had all these like presentations. I was kind of like finding my way to send that message. And as I was writing different things, different things would come to me and I have a couple of philosophical themes. And then COVID hit and movies shut down. Mm-hmm. And kind of accelerated, you know, that, that passion. And I was already kind of burnt out in the movies. I had, I had two kids at the time. I have three now. So I, 
time-wise. I need to be home with family. So when COVID really slowed down the movies, really ramped up my uh, my writing and uh, kind of honed it in. And at some point, I said, I just write the whole book, write the story, put the philosophical themes in there, and you can take whatever you want to any presentation you want to do. So that's kind of what I did during COVID. And with that, I also opened a business and then to Warrior Gym. I wanted something tangible with my hands I can build. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I tackled both those two things with COVID. And then by the time movies came back, I was so far down those roads. I had mm. a pretty clean, clean break. Mm. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. So if if somebody picks up that book, what are they going to find in it? What's you you talked about? It, you know, it tells your story, and then also some philosophical things. Tell us what we're going to find in the book. Uh, yeah, it's, I call it a philosophical memoir, it's a story mm. of my life up till now, and the uh, internal things that enabled me to go through some some trauma, some bullying. Uh, I was arrested in college, wrongfully arrested. Got kicked out of college and um uh, father dying a, a lot of random things that you know could go the way mm. uh i was homeless and i made money I went to la had a you know rely on friends and a lot of uh so i've, I've been humbled a lot in life so which is a mm. good thing uh mm. but it, it's that story it's, it's it's funny it's sad it's engrossing and the philosophical themes are like the who versus what be more you know value in who you are than what you are what is any job title, anything external to what, anything internal to who, build that up and you'll be able to go through transitions way easier in life. And um, there's another philosophical paradox called the ship of Theseus, which kind of, um, uh, very, it's, it's an old thought experiment I used to do when I was a teacher to get kids' heads moving. And I tied that paradox into the story to kind of make the message a little more tangible with a little callback to things as I was going through it. So, uh, it's, I, I was going to write the 400-page novel version of it with character development, my mom, and this, and all that. And, and uh, A, I'm not that good of a writer at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, the writing groups I was in, they're like, kids don't read those books anymore. The, the attention span has shrunk. I don't know how many Harry Potters are going to be written now for 12-year-olds. Uh, and I, I can't write that well anyway. So turned out I made the book 150 pages, got the story in there, got the philosophical things in there, and uh, like I'm doing a, a talk at a school. The middle school bought 100 books. They're going to read them. I built a curriculum around them, some worksheets and all stuff like that. Then I come in two weeks later and I, and I give a presentation about the book and do a Q&A and everything. So I'm building that, uh, that platform out to go with the book. So the book had to be a shorter, kind of quick hit, fun, hit everything. So I think I, I hit that level pretty good with the book. No, that's that's really cool for sure. And I do want you to talk a little bit about you know that the, your speaking side of things and the the curriculum that's being built around that. I know that some of it has to do with, with bullying and then also just kind of mental fortitude, I think is what, what you said. Talk a little bit about kind of your, your speaking and, and the curriculum you're building. Yeah, definitely mental fortitude, perseverance. Um, even if you're not a bully kid, I, I, I relate to transitions. You're always going to go through a transition in life. You go from high school to college, college to work, um, not being a father to having kids. Now I have uh, aging parents I have to go through. I have teenage daughters in my house. Mm. And there's always going to be some kind of transition. Even if everything goes right, you're going to be empty nester one day. Or, I mean, there's always something around the corner. Being able to see that, predict it. Hey, listen, a couple of years, uh, my mom's kind of old. So how many years do you have left? We have to figure out what that's going to be. Mentally preparing for that helps you get into it. But then the baseline of building yourself up internally having confidence in, the, in your character and who you are uh, makes those things way easier. It's way easier to, to navigate those transitions 
um, when you when you have a powerful who you know compared to caring about your what as much. Mm. So uh, that's kind of and the curriculum it builds on that different different age groups. I'm writing some curriculum for um, elementary school kids, and I'm even working on the children's book too, actually, which mm. just started just, just started. Um, and I'm calling that uh, be bully proof instead of bulletproof, bully proof. Mm. Everyone attached a bully uh, epidemic from the side of don't be a bully, be a nice person, don't pick on people. Great, I get it. I'm in. Mm. There's always going to be bullies. Uh, you're not going to stop that. Um, so mm. create an environment where the kids are tough enough that the bullies don't bother them as much, and don't mm. have easy targets for bullies. And if there's easy targets for bullies, there'll be a lot less bullies. You build a whole community around being bully proof. And that kind of attached the problem from the other way. You have kids, even with me, I, I couldn't talk. I went to speech therapy. I got made fun of all the time. I, I was still able to laugh at myself. Some of the things were kind of funny. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Then you hit a line. I'm like, oh, that's too far. Now we're fighting. So yeah. being able to you know, find that balance. And that's what kids do anyway, even if they're not being bullied. Everyone's finding that line of, does she like me? Go ask her out. Does friends with me? You know, that's what adolescence is. So really attacking that and being being up front with that, I think can really help help kids. Hey, we've all been there. That's fine. It's it's okay to to dance to that line, figure out what that line is. Uh, you'll find it easier when you're not worried about the external factors of it. Yeah, no, I think that's that's powerful. And you kind of talk about being bullied. But I'm gonna kind of flip that. And you talked about having teenage daughters. You've done some really cool things. Do they see how cool? Of things you've done or are you still lame to them not yet they're uh they're six four and two oh, so my six-year-olds is young. they're young they don't know um they don't they have no idea about movies or anything like that yet yeah, so I hear i'm you. uh I, I i can hide my uh <laughs> right now I but, uh, but they're fun and they're crazy and uh it's, it's been an awesome chapter in my life <laughs> no that's that's awesome for sure i want you to kind of tell people how how they can find the book we didn't even mention the name of the book tell us the name of the book how we can find it and how people can uh, i guess find all your social medias and connect yeah the book is called falling down to find myself um play on words about being a hollywood stuntman falling down in life and it's falling down to find myself you can find it on amazon anywhere books are sold i have a website uh kevincast.com k-e-v-i-n-c-a-s-s.com uh, a lot of podcasts like this I do, I throw on my website. I have, uh, I do like a little sub stack. I try to do that weekly, sh- quick little five minute reads of things that come to my head. Um, my speaking engagements, my book, all that stuff. Anything with me, it will, will be on that website. A couple of highlight reels and galleries of me and movies and, uh, I'm building that out. Uh, all that's been maybe the last three or four months. That's all been kind of launching. So, learning as I go and throw more content up and get myself out there. So uh, the book falling down, find myself Amazon anywhere. You mean Google it. And then the website is probably the best uh, homepage for, for anything me related. I got you. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So that was Kevin Cassidy. Really appreciated his time. Learned a lot about the world of, of stunt acting, something I knew nothing about. I'm certainly not uh, anywhere close to that world. I uh, I just have a lot of respect for people who not only just has the, the physical ability, the physical endurance to, to do these stunts, but just those who are, I guess, fearless enough to, to do them. Of course, we talked about the safety 
there's a lot of safety involved. They're not just out there doing all this crazy stuff and, and not being safe about it. But still, it takes a, a special kind of person, no matter how much safety is out there, to, you know, jump into those those uh, holes that he talked about or or allow themselves to be drop kicked and, and all that stuff. So I, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, hearing from, from Kevin uh, about the, the world of, of stunt, but also about his book. If you're at all interested in, in picking that up, uh, falling down to find myself, definitely uh, recommend that. It's about so much more than just stunt work. You know, just like he talked about overcoming adversity and uh, I, I think that uh, you, you're going to learn a lot in that book. I, I really enjoyed it myself. If you're at all interested in, in booking a, a speaker to talk to to your group, uh, it sounds like he kind of focuses in the uh, elementary school age group um, or at least the, the school age, but I'm sure there's there's a lot of opportunities for, for any age group, uh, but I, I urge you to check him out there too. All his links will be in the show notes, whether it's the book, whether it's his speaking engagements. Don't think you can go wrong uh, getting involved with Kevin because he's a, a pleasure to speak with. Um, if this is your first time listening, thanks so much for being here. If you're a long-time listener, hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you haven't already, please go follow on Instagram, Not Enough Podcast. Go give that five-star review on, on Apple and on Spotify. Really appreciate that. If you listen on Apple, leave a written review. Even more amazing. But uh, enough of that. Appreciate you being here this week. Hope to see you next week. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.